Welcome to the new section of Co-op Cast, the podcast where we will discuss cooperative and solo board games. Joining me today, as always, is Colin. Hello, everyone. In case you didn't hear the special announcement, we are going to be filling in off weeks from the Co-op Cast schedule. We actually had another podcast running called One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, and we are now merging into the Co-op Cast Network. So Woo-hoo! be prepared for more content every week. Yeah, it's just something that I think will allow us to uh, piggyback off of one another. And Peter and Mike love the two guys. We listen to them all the time. So it just kind of made sense that we love talking about co-ops. We love talking about solo board gaming. Why not put it together? Put it all underneath one roof, cover similar topics. I think it makes a lot of sense. So we're both very excited for this opportunity. Yeah, and so just so you guys know, I'll be uh, slowly posting some of their episodes on the YouTube channel as well, in case you prefer listening to the uh, podcast through YouTube. So we'll have those on there as well, and we'll still have them through the co-op cast, doing it all the regular ways through iTunes and Google Play. And don't forget SoundCloud as well. We thought the best way to do this is to give you guys a little bit of an agenda so you know what we're going to talk about today. So what we'll start with is talking about some of our recently played games. From there, we'll move on to some of our news events, so what we see that's out out in the market right now, going on Kickstarter, stuff like that. Then from there, we're going to move to one of our favorite to- topics, the Pepperidge Farm, remembers. Yeah, looking at an older game. This time, we're going to lo- be looking at two very similar older games. I'm pumped for that one. <laughs> then we'll end with a discussion topic, and our topic this time is board games and family. So with that, let's start with our recently played games. And Steve, what have you been playing? So I've been playing a game called Maximum Apocalypse, and this is a post-apocalyptic game, but it's not exactly a zombie game. You actually have other enemies in it as well, like robots, mutants, and even kaiju. So what's it about? Everyone plays as a hero or character in the game, and there's various types like hunters, you'd be a surgeon, uh, there's even a, a veteran with his dog, a fireman, a lot of different characters, and you choose your character, and you have a deck that corresponds to each character. It's not a deck-building game, per se. You just have a straight-up deck that's pre-constructed. So in this game, you have a certain amount of actions, and every card you play basically costs an action. And there are some cards that are event cards. Other ones are permanent cards. They're called gear cards. So it's pretty simple to play, but how each card is themed towards the character. So it's quite fun. So, for example, the fireman might have a fire axe. The surgeon might have a gurney. Um, you have one of my favorite ones is a mechanic who actually can do a drone strike, which is pretty hilarious. Uh, so they're really fun to play. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to explore a map that's constructed of tiles. And you can lay this out face down and you flip them over and explore them. But the shape of this map, you can kind of choose depending on the scenario. Some scenarios have to be a certain uh, shape and style. But you can change it up if you want a little bit of variety or even difficulty. And you're trying to do a goal in mind. So some of them might be like, hey, go to the police station, find the scientist and escort him back to your van. Also, you need gas for your van. Or it might be something like, hey, go find a shelter and you need to find food to uh, stock up the shelter. So there's a bunch of post-apocalyptic themes. What I really like about this game is the cards in the decks are very thematic and they allow for some truly epic moments. And I'll explain one of my moments to kind of give you an idea. So I was playing this game with my buddy Elijah and he had a a horde of zombies following him. 
And so he went and dove into a shelter, and I had a mortar. And so I launched my mortar and just pummeled that location while he was taking shelter within or taking cover inside the shelter. And then once we took out those zombies, he turned around and pulled out his sniper rifle and picked off the zombie that was chasing me. So it was just a really fun thematic moment as we're playing this game. It's kind of a strange game. There's nothing that is unique or special about it, I would say. I'm not, I don't mean that in necessarily a negative way, but it just does a lot of things well. And it's, I don't know, it's just really fun. It's really hard to pinpoint why I like this game a lot. I think sometimes we're always trying to find games that have something unique to convince ourselves that, hey, this is a game that I need versus another one that might be similar to other games that I own. But sometimes it's just about the feel. I mean, as you play a certain game, it might just connect with you. And it sounds like this one just connects with you, Steve. Yeah, big fan of this one. So I definitely recommend checking it out. It's pretty fun. And there is going to be another expansion in the works. I don't know when's coming out, but something to keep, keep an eye out for. Yeah, I actually own this one, which is funny because you're the one who's played it and you have you don't even own it. And I own it and I haven't even played it yet. <laughs> so I'm excited to get that one to the table. It sounds fun. I'm I'm never really been a person that loves the apocalypse theme, so I was a little bit wary. But actually, uh, Adam Smith from Rolling Solo, he has a playthrough of it on his channel. If you guys want to check that out to see kind of how the game plays, feel free. Yeah, I'll admit I'm not a fan of apocalyptic themes either, and this one really grabbed me, so it was fun. Cool, taking out those zombies. So Colin, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, so the the two games that I've really been digging deep into, and I'll say deep because the games are somewhat deep themselves, is uh, Mage Knight and Star Trek Frontiers. So I played Mage Knight. Uh, a good six or eight months ago, I found it. Um, one of my buddies, he taught it to me. Actually, he taught it to me through Skype, which, by the way, is an amazing way of playing that game. <laughs> it works pretty well. Um, but yeah, so I, I learned it initially there, but then I didn't pull it out for a while. Got back into it. I'm loving it. And then Star Trek Frontiers just came out with an expansion, The Return of Khan. And I went, oh, I got to check that out. So I actually got Star Trek Frontiers and that expansion, which is basically the similar to the Lost Legion expansion for Mage Knight. And what I'm going to do a little bit later in this podcast is break down the differences of those two games and talk about them. So I'm just going to leave it at that for now. I'm having a blast. My brain is hurting a lot because <laughs> after a long day of work, then trying to puzzle out what to do in these games can be challenging. But I will say this. My wife loves Star Trek Frontiers, and that's saying something. So she's actually going to do the playthrough with me of that game, which I'm really excited for on the on the YouTube channel, on the One Stop Co-op Shop channel. So I'm excited for that. I'm curious about the expansion with Khan in it. Do you get this yell out? Yes, it actually has that in the rule book. It has that. It's awesome. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I would, you know, a little spoiler. The theme is at least a little bit more there in the Star Trek Frontiers game than the Mage Knight game. And I do appreciate that for sure. But yeah, so that's what I've essentially been doing, because as you can imagine, that takes multiple days to play through those games. They're not short ones. So, uh, Steve, are you playing anything else? I've been getting another game to the table recently. Uh, That is Black Orchestra. So if you're not familiar with this game, this came out some time ago, and just recently the uh, Kickstarter for a, a second edition came out. So I actually backed the upgrade components for a second edition. So I've been actually waiting to get to the table with the new rules. If you're not familiar with this game, Black Orchestra was a codename for a secret group that was planning to assassinate Hitler in World War II. So this is based on real people. The history is definitely in this game. The event cards have actual pictures in them. 
Um, the events are historical, historic too, so they do go in some sort of order. And even the characters you play are the members of that that group, and they have backstories, and that's actually what really happened to them. So it can be pretty pretty heavy at times, for sure. I guess part of it for me, and one reason why I like the game so much, is I feel a sense of tension when I play Black Orchestra. I'm trying to think why that is. I think it's because there's so much planning that goes in Black Orchestra, because you're trying to get all these ducks in a row, all these dominoes in the right spot before they fall. And the littlest thing will screw up your plans and you have to re- reorganize and try to get resituated. Now, that said, I do think there's luck in Black Orchestra. I, I guess I would agree with you because of those event cards, right? Yeah, the event cards come out. They're kind of random order. Well, they're in a chronological order for the most part, but the exact order of each of these stages comes out randomly. And then you have dice rolling in Black Orchestra. In fact, this is one of the potential cons for people. Um, how you actually assassinate Hitler in this game is with a die roll. But it's so thematic. It's so thematic. (laughs) It is thematic. I agree. And that's what builds that tension because you really don't have a whole lot of control if you were to try to achieve these plots. So, and I'm talking about like some of the plots in the game are stuff like uh, a a plane bomb or like poison gas or poison food or lone gunman or uh, a coup, for example. So, a lot of these are, there's so many factors come in it. So, the dice roll does make sense. And not to scare people away, but there is mitigation in the game. And there is a level of probability analysis because you may not want to roll all the dice you have available for the best odds of success. Oh, because of the different symbols on the dice, right? So if you if you roll too many of the, I can't remember the name of the symbol, but there's a yep. symbol. Yeah, it can negate some of your uh, your successes. Oh, yeah. That, the game is great. I mean, they did a great job with it. Uh, my... My biggest hesitation is its game salute. And I mean, eh, I have never been very impressed with them as a company. Um, but here's the thing. I backed uh, Black Orchestra and I backed Shadow Rift and I love both games. So the games they come out with are good. You just sometimes have to deal with some of their administrative issues. That's fair. I mean, this game was delayed for more than a year and there's not much to the second edition from the first. Um, granted, there's some production issues with the dice, so I'll give them that. But it still was a a long wait. But uh, yeah, so you're traveling all over all over Europe trying to achieve these plots, and it's it, I don't know, it's it was really fun. I played with Elijah, my local gaming buddy, uh, just recently. It was his first time playing, and he enjoyed it enough where he would he would definitely play it again. It came down to the wire for us, where we had we actually set it up so that we did a one two punch where we actually. Forge some travel documents for Hitler to fly towards us on a plane that had a bomb on it. And when he landed, we tried to uh, have, we had a coup plan for him too. So <laughs> that is awesome. So you ended up winning? Nope. <laughs> we lost. Nope. <laughs> That's the other thing. Don't expect to win often. They actually give you a card in the game that you're supposed to take a picture of yourself with it when you do win because you don't win that often. So. When you go into this game, know you're probably not going to win. Know you're going to spend a lot of time doing... Because the main mechanic is a pick up and deliver, right? And so you're doing a lot of picking up, moving things, and trying to adjust your tracks. That's what you're trying to do is to to lower your suspicion and increase your motivation to go and do things. Um, And that's what you're going to be doing. And then with one flip of a card, everything can change. And so that might not be for everybody, but... It is perfect for the theme. Ah, I agree completely. It's a lot. It was a lot of fun. So I'm glad you brought up the pick up and deliver part of it because I feel like this is one of the only cooperative games with a pick up and deliver mechanic in it. I can't think of many others like that, and 
the interesting thing about this pick and deliver mechanic is you're actually doing your job, and so your suspicion drops if you do your job in this game. Flashpoint, pick up and deliver is oh, another one. Oh, good call. Um, there's another one. Oh, man, come on. What's another one? There's like, I've got like four or five of them, really. There's actually more than you'd think. If you kind of think about it, Pandemic is a little bit of a pick up and deliver. <laughs> You're trying to pick up cards and deliver them to certain areas so that you can, yeah. But anyways. So yeah, that was Black Orchestra. I had a lot of fun. If this theme sounds interesting to you, I recommend checking it out. Cool. Well, it sounds like we've been having a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to news. And I think, Steve, you've got some fun games that are coming out that you're interested in. One of the games that slipped underneath the radar for me was The Colonist comes out with an expansion. And this expansion is called Ante Portus. Fortunately, I think it's only available through Lookout at the moment. And so you kind of have to pay international shipping if you're in the U- U.S. But if you're familiar with The Colonist at all, it's a pretty fun uh, and civilization type building game your building's calling out and you have to do this really meaty worker placement uh mechanic to get the resource you need to build stuff it's it's pretty fun it's long though very long got four ages you can save between the ages potentially but it was fun for what it was but this expansion makes it cooperative or team play if you want but we're a co-op cast so we're talking about the cooperative part of it and so you can do one to three players can play against the game what it adds is a battlefield and command center areas. So now you can build structures, traps, mines, and bombs, and you can turn your farmers and citizens and train them to be soldiers. Sounds pretty cool. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I want to mention the podcast if others were interested. Uh, Steve, you've got one person sitting on the other side of this microphone who's really excited for it. <laughs> I I didn't even know about this until you put this on here. Is this already available now? You can buy it right now, yes. Uh, yeah, because I have the colonists you know, for solo play, but I haven't ever pulled it out because what you talked about, it's so long and a lot of the people that I play with likes to play co-op over competitive. But if we could do this, wow, I think I might be getting this. <laughs> it sounds pretty cool because I enjoy colonists, but this would make it, this might push into a buy area for me. For me, it's not even a question since I already own the colonists. I'm getting this. <laughs> That makes it easy. <laughs> so the other game I want to talk about, and this was from Restoration Games, is Stop Thief. So Stop Thief is one of your uh, hidden movement games. So if you're not familiar with that, it's something like uh, Letters from Whitechapel and Spectre Ops and Fury of Dracula are hidden movement games. And those games, generally it's a kind of a one versus many game, but one person runs around a board, but not physically runs around the board. They actually jot down notes with there's like normally numbers on the board and you jot down where you are secretly on, on a pad of paper and the rest of the players are trying to find you and trying to find clues where you are so that's kind of what a hidden movement game is if you're not familiar but so south Thief is one of these games but they came out with an app for it and what it does is the app actually controls the hidden character so now you can play cooperatively because as much as i love hidden movement games they never hit the table because i'm normally always the one hiding and my wife doesn't want to play against me because Feels like she's tracking me down, and this way we actually play together to find this computer player that's running around the board. It sounds really, really cool. I'm excited to see this. A hidden movement, but it's a co-op? I mean, how how many of those are there? I don't know of another one. I'm, if your listeners know of another one, send us our way. I'm curious, but this is the only one I know of. And the other thing that's kind of cool about the app is not only will it give you clues of the locations, but also give you clues in the form of sound. So it might be like, it might sound like, hey... This kind of equity could be in the hallway of the museum, so it's it's kind of unique. Steve, you're making me spend more money. Stop it! <laughs> that sounds so cool. I'm really excited to look that one up now. 
There's a solo game that's coming out called Unbroken that's by Ultima Games. Now, this is one that I'm actually going to be fortunate enough to do a playthrough of on the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel while the Kickstarter is going. You guys can see if it's something that you're interested in. But it's a 20 to 30 minute game that's in a dark fantasy setting. The solo player will take on the role of a survivor of a monster attack who has to recover from wounds and craft weapons from scraps before finding their way back to freedom. It's focused on strategic resource management and taking calculated risks. Now, if any of you have seen any of my channel, you know that I don't do that. I just take risks with no calculation. (laughs) So my guess is we're going to die when we do that. But it's a lot of fun. It is tight. It is hard. I so far, there's four levels as you're playing. So you'll go against four different monsters in each level. And you begin it, you, you begin each phase by collecting some resources, doing a little bit of venturing, and then you go and fight the monster. And if you pass him, then you have to eat some food and you move to the next level. Well, I've only gotten past level two so far. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes, but I am excited for that. It is solo only though. So this, this is not co-op. It's only solo. It's going to be coming out around the end of March. March 27th is when the Kickstarter will start. And yeah, I'm really excited for it. It looks like a lot of fun. So the next game I'll cover is Thanos Rising from USAopoly. This is based on the Marvel Cinematic Universe Infinity Wars movie coming out later this year. And if you know anything about me, I'm a pretty big superhero nerd. I love all the movies. I go see all the movies. I grew up playing Heroclix a long time ago with my brothers. And I anything superheroes, I'm instantly interested. So when this popped on my radar, I had to look up, look it up. So this is a fully cooperative game. It's dice-based. And you are kind of using the dice as resources and recruiting heroes and taking out villains. So there's not a lot of information released about it. So I'll do my best covering what little I do know of. To win this game, you need to take out a number of villains. And the villains could range from 7 to 10, depending on the difficulty you want for this game. You also recruit heroes and am to your uh, your board. And you play. You start each game with one of those iconic characters from the movies. So it can be Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain America, Iron Man. All those characters you see in the movies. And I, from what I can tell, looks like it's the art is based on the movie characters. So you, if you're a fan of the movies, you should recognize them pretty easily. But how you lose the game, a couple ways. If you ever run out of heroes, you're out of the game. If I believe 10 heroes are eliminated, you lose the game. Or if Thanos completes his Infinity Gauntlet, he becomes all-powerful and you lose the game. One thing that sounds really cool about this game is as Thanos gathers these infinity gems and adds them to his gauntlet he will then flip over a a tile and gain a special power for the rest of the game so as the game goes on he becomes more and more powerful so i'm really excited to hear about this ramp up i hope it's good we'll see what happens when it gets released the other game that popped up on the market recently is zombicide invader dun 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 (laughs) thanks for that so it looks like cool mini or not is back to the zombicide franchise again but this time they're going to space so I actually own the original Zombicide. I don't own the mid, uh, the fantasy version of it. I played Black Plague before. That's pretty fun. Um, but I think for me, one Zombicide's enough. But this one looks pretty cool. It's got a different spin on it. If you're not familiar with Zombicide, it's kind of a scenario-based run around, kill lots of stuff that are, have low hit points generally, and get loot and level up. It's just a kind of a fun romp. Dice check. And then get covered in zombies at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> It's a pretty good like beer and pretzel game. I'd probably classify it as it's it's fun for what it is. Um, 
this new zombicide invader in space adds something unique to it. So it matters if you're indoors or outdoors. So if you're indoors, you can fire a gun. You can do lots of different items. That's fine. But when you're out the outside, you're out in the vacuum of space and guns don't work. So you need lasers. So you have to be conscious of what type of weapon you have in, in different areas of the board. Do you have to put on a helmet to go outside? <laughs> <laughs> in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, you know, Zombie Side is great. It just was definitely not for me. I played through that one, and uh, it just, yeah, it didn't connect with me. Yeah, it can be really long game too if you're not careful. So, yeah, and a lot of time just sitting around doing nothing if you play with like four or five people. Oh, especially with the number of spawn points that are out there, you can spend forever moving zombies. Yep. And then did we move those zombies already? No. Oh, did we already attack with them? I think we did. Wait, how many dice? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just, it got to be so cumbersome. That was the reason. It just wasn't for, it wasn't for us. Yep. That's fair. I still have it. I still play it on occasion. It's fun, but I don't play it that often because it's so, like you said, cumbersome. But anyway, if this sounds inter- interesting to you, the Kickstarter is launching April 10th. The other game I'll talk about right now is Chronicles of Crime by Lucky Duck Game. This is on Kickstarter right now. This game's pretty cool. It's actually a VR game, but you don't need to run it in VR if you don't want to. It is a mystery deduction game, and it is digestible. And what I mean by digestible is if you play through a scenario, a mystery, and you solve it, you really can't replay that same scenario because you already know the solution to it. But that said, what comes in the game is there are a bunch of locations, a bunch of suspects, a bunch of items, and they all have different QR codes on it. And so you, if you want to travel location, you scan it with a QR code. You go talk to some, you scan them with a QR code and they'll respond to stuff. And maybe you want to talk to them, this suspect about this item. So you scan the suspect, scan the item, and then they'll, the app will tell you what they know about that item, for example. And you're trying to run around trying to solve this mystery. And at some at a point in the game, you will go to the uh, murder site or mystery site, whatever, whatever the crime you're trying to solve. And you'll put on these VR glasses or you'll just look through your phone. And you'll have a set amount of time to look around the room in a three-dimensional uh, three space using the gyroscope. And you'll call out to other people what you see. And they'll grab the cards and say, oh, wait, well, it looks like I see, I see a, a knife down there. Or I see a, a broken vase. And they'll grab different cards and match these, these items. And you'll lay them out and try to solve this, solve this mystery. And it just sounds really engaging and kind of tricky, too. I'm really excited to try this out. Yeah, if you guys are interested in seeing a playthrough, Ant Lab Games has a really good one. They just do the intro scenario, so it doesn't spoil anything, but it can kind of show you what it's like. Because I'm always a little bit hesitant when you have a game that's almost all about the app, and that's what this one is. I mean, it's, it sounds like at least you, you've got so much is about, okay, you, you have to scan cards and you're getting this information uh, digitally. So check that out, but I think it sounds really cool. The cool thing about this game is they have it set up so that they could add more content digitally and just reuse the same cards in different scenarios. In fact, they do that in the base game. So I'm curious how far they're going to take this game. Steve, I'm hungry for a digestible game. (laughs) I've been wanting to say that the whole time since you said it was digestible. (laughs) That's the podcast. My stomach is rumbling. <laughs> okay. This is what happens when you talk with me for an hour. I'm so sorry. Okay. I love it. Well, Steve, thanks for taking the bull by the horns and doing essentially the entire news section. I appreciate that. I've been a little bit uh, stuck with the two games that I'm going to talk about right now. So you guys sit back, relax, and let's talk about a game that Pepperidge Farm remembers. And that is Mage Knight 
and Star Trek Frontiers. So these two games, both designed by Vlada Shratil, are phenomenal games that I would call epic. I call them epic because you almost will never play this game in one session unless you have an entire afternoon of four plus hours to play. For those of you who don't know what Mage Knight and Star Trek Frontiers are, they are exploration or adventure games. But in the game, you'll either control a mage or one of the ships in Star Trek, and you'll be exploring either the outer space or a fantasy world. You'll be going exploring, revealing tiles, moving through specific lands, uh, trying to conquer keeps or starship bases, and gain fame or experience so that you can then take on either, if you have the expansions, Volcare and Khan, or just take out some Borg, some Borg cubes, or uh, Volcare himself. The game focuses primarily on a hand management system where all of your actions are derived by cards in your hand, and you'll slowly build your deck of cards as you level up in experience or fame, but you'll also gain wounds, and those wounds also go to your deck and clog up your deck. I am currently running a solo playthrough of Mage Knight on the channel if you guys are interested. This game I put as one of my top solo games the game provides you with lots of flexibility because you can play it solo, you can play it cooperative, you can play it competitively, and you can play it player versus player. The game focuses primarily on puzzly actions and uh, deep exploration, and it is a hard game to win. And of course, one of my favorite mechanics, the hand management and multi-use cards. So now what I'd like to do is kind of jump into discussing the two games and how they're different enough and how they're similar and what I like about each one of them. So let's first start talking about Mage Knight. As Mage Knight is the older version of this Mage Knight system, Star Trek is a re-implementation of Mage Knight and some would say it's might some would say it's better, some might say it's worse, but a lot of things are streamlined in the game. So that's what I'll talk about some of those differences. So one of the big differences in Mage Knight that I personally like better is how movement works in the game. So in Star Trek, there's three different types of terrain, maybe four, but in Mage Knight, there's seven or eight different types, and each one has a different move cost. And two of those will actually change their movement cost depending on if you're in the day phase or in the night phase. And I really like that because you have to be very strategic on where you end your movement for the day, at the end of the day and at the end of your evenings. You want to make sure that, hey, at the end of the evenings, you've gotten yourself uh, through all the sand areas because sand is a lot easier to move through at night. It's not as hot, so the movement is less. Versus during the day, you want to go through the forest because the forest, it's easier to go through during the day. But at night, well, you can't see all those bushes that hit you in the face. So it's harder It's harder to walk through the forest at night. And I just, I love that. It really helps you feel like you're in that land. Instead of with Star Trek, pretty much every empty space, which the majority of the board is empty spaces, is to movement. And I mean, that makes sense, right? It's thematically, you're in outer space. So, um, but you just have to spend a lot less time worrying about movement versus in Mage Knight. I spend a lot more time focusing, well, how am I going to get that extra two movement just to get to that right spot? The next thing to talk about is the day and night. In Mage Knight, you have day and night, but you know, in Star Trek, you're in outer space. There is no day and night. So all movement and 
your your tactics cards, everything. There's just one of that in Star Trek versus in Mage Knight. You've got a morning and a night phase and you've got totally different tactic cards. You've got different mana that you can use uh, during the night phase that you can't use during the day phase. And for uh, Star Trek Frontiers, you can use any of the data tokens at any time. So I really like the day and night mechanic because once again, it just adds that extra step of strategic thinking that you have to do. One of the other things I really enjoy about Mage Knight is the fact that they have fortifications. So something that Star Trek decided to get rid of, and I think it was just for simplicity sake, is that any time that you're assaulting any sort of battle station in Star Trek, you can just attack them from an adjacent location and you can use long range, no problem. But in Mage Knight, Places that have fortification, you cannot use range attack. That means you have to be able to shield their attack first before you go and attack them, or you have to have siege attack. And that's something that Star Trek Frontiers doesn't have at all. There is no siege attack. They're simply just long range attack or regular attack. Mage Knight has ranged attack and siege attack and regular attack. And so your siege attack can go through fortifications, but your, your uh, ranged attack can't. Star Trek, you just have the long range attack, which can go through anything. You can take anything out with long range attack. And I personally actually like having the three different types of attack in Mage Knight because once again, more strategy, more, oh, do I want that card? That card provides siege attack. That means that when I siege that city, I can actually take out enemies before they attack me, which is essential in Mage Knight because you have to fully block in Mage Knight all of the uh, enemies that are attacking you. Uh, And so if you can take them out first, Before the block phase, it saves you so much. I just can't believe how much that can help you. So that siege attack is very strong in Mage Knight, but it also means it's harder to get. So certain cards have that siege attack. You want to get those cards. And I really like that. One of my favorite games in Mage Knight, I was the character you're playing now. uh, What's that dragon's name again? Goldix. Goldix, yeah. I was him. And I think I got the teleportation card and I wound up getting two siege catapults. So I was just teleporting around the world with siege catapults, taking out keeps and cities. It was pretty fun. Oh, that's awesome. And thematically, I got this fun picture in my head. It's like, boop, and just giant siege <laughs> and engines right there. And the then walls. they just, they chuck blog, like these huge entire rocks, and then they just disappear. Boop. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I just, I mean, it's not that it's a problem. It makes it more streamlined for Star Trek, but uh, I just like the... A, a differences with the siege and the range and the regular attack but it does make it more complicated and i don't know about you steve but for me the art and the minis themselves on mage knight just look awesome i the card art the the miniatures are painted it looks fantastic and you go to star trek and they look fine they're painted but they're ships so they're all kind of painted the same color that kind of gray color they're really small miniatures on these really long stands to make them look like they're kind of flying but they're a little bit more flimsy i just i feel like when i'm playing mage knight and i've got that painted mini in my hand and i put it on the board yeah that's me i'm goldix right now but when i'm playing star trek it's like i'm somewhere inside of that little teeny tiny ship (laughs) i don't know where i am but cool you know so i just i like the minis and i like the art of mage knight just a little bit better and you know if you think about it star trek 2 they 
the art that they have, it's pictures from the TV show. I think it's the TV show. Yeah, it's pictures in the TV show versus Mage Knight. They can kind of create a fantasy world. And I personally like fantasy more over science, science fiction. So kind of makes sense that I like Mage Knight better for that. I like science fiction quite a bit. I like, I feel like there's enough fantasy out there where I tend to favor more science fiction games if given the opportunity but i think i'm agreeing with you on this one the as much as i like star trek i do like the art better than mage knight yeah i mean even if you just compare the the enemy tokens the art on the enemy tokens you look at uh, a draconis for mage knight and it fills up that entire little token versus for uh, star trek frontiers you can look at a board cube which is the similar type and it's just like a circle <laughs> Which makes sense because it's a board cube, but you know, it's just not nearly as beautiful, I don't think. But hey, that's just my opinion. The last thing for Mage Knight is the artifact deck. I don't know why they got rid of this. I love the artifact deck. When you get an artifact in Mage Knight and you draw that card and you use that uh, superpower on the bottom side where you use it and then you lose it, but they're amazing and it's, you feel so epically awesome when you get them. I mean, the last time I played, I got the one that gave me an infinite amount of red mana crystals and an infinite amount of black mana crystals. And so I was like, spell, 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 you know, it was so <laughs> much fun. And, and they got rid of that for Star Trek Frontiers. I think to once again to streamline and instead you just have the undiscoverable deck, which is fine, but. I just, I love the artifacts, and I miss that in Star Trek Frontiers. One thing that jumped out on me is the units in the game. In Mage Knight, they're kind of your generic fantasy fantasy units. And like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I had multiple catapults. It didn't really matter to me. But for Star Trek, they have characters from the show. Like, I believe Data is one of them you can recruit. And in that game, I don't think there's anything that stops you from having multiple Datas, which thematically Star Trek might make sense. If you know, if you watch a show, but if you had like multiple wharfs, for example, doesn't really make sense. And so for that, that kind of, as much as I like the Star Trek theme and the sci-fi setting, that kind of broke the theme for me a little bit in that game. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I hadn't even thought about that, Steve. You know, it's something for me since I don't really, I've only watched the movie of Star Trek. I'm, I'm not really into the world. That, that didn't even cross my mind. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I spent, it was one of my goals to watch every Star Trek episode out there, and it took me, I don't know how many years to do it. There's a ton out there, but eventually I did get through them all, so. You have watched all of them? Oh my gosh, that's that amazing. That was my goal on Netflix. It took me, I don't know, like five years, I feel like, if not more. Wow. So, yep. It was it was fun, though. I enjoy them. Definitely Next Gen's my favorite, but uh we won't talk about Enterprise. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think what you're helping me with is I got to watch those. I watched the the movie from 2009 and I really liked it. And now because of that, I'm Captain Kirk. Like that's the one that I was playing because I really liked that. So, um, and I think he was the main character in that one. So yeah, anyways, I, I like the world. It's fun. And, you know, here, let me tell you a couple things about Star Trek Frontiers, which is cooler. The first thing is the away missions. In Mage Knight, the only thing that influence is used for is really to essentially get more units, right? Get more units or maybe get an advanced action or two from the monastery or from the city. But you have to use diplomacy in Star Trek Frontiers for these away missions. And you have to send your units down to the planet, try and convince these people, hey, we're not terrible people, you know, we're just trying to help you. And if you do that, then you get your XP. But if you don't, then you can use long-range attack. And it's this really cool new mechanic, these away missions. And 
when you play against Khan, you have to do an away mission onto his ship. It's so cool. <laughs> and it's so hard. Okay, I have not won against Khan. Monica and I played twice, and we got murdered when we tried to do the away mission. Because, yes, after you fight all of his ships that are in the air, you then immediately have to do an away mission. And so we go in there with, like, one card each, and we needed Diplomacy 10, and we had Diplomacy 2. <laughs> so, yeah. But, anyways, it's it's fun. Um, I really like how the away missions work. It feels totally thematic. It's, it's, uh, just a unique way, a unique thing for Star Trek Frontiers. It's been a while since I sat in front of Star Trek Frontiers, but do they have red shirts in that game? Yeah, Steve, they totally do. And they give you like these little basic unit actions, attack two and defense two. Like that's all they do. And yeah, you can totally bring them on your away mission and get them wounded and they can help you survive. <laughs> it should be a requirement to have them wounded <laughs> if you take yeah. them away missions. <laughs> that would be awesome. But yeah, actually that, that ties in right to the next point. Wounds versus damage. So in Mage Knight, it's all wounds because, hey, you're a person and your units are people or things that can get wounded in this game when you're in your when you're on your ship and you're attacking other ships you can't use your units to defend and your units don't get injured it's only you but you take damage into your hand but when you go into an away mission instead of people taking damage your units and your captain which is you essentially take wounds and so you have this heal mechanic and this repair mechanic so instead of just having uh heal like you have in mage knight you have two different types in star trek frontiers and i like that it's fun it provides more decisions for you okay am i going to send them down on a way mission but if they get wounded then i can't use them and i can't use them to block damage from this uh from this space station but i can use it for an away mission yeah it's really cool also something about star trek frontiers is you only have three different types of basic uh data which is similar to the mana in mage knight mage knight you have four basic ones in star trek frontiers you only have three but you do have a purple data and the purple data is really fun you can do a little push your luck and i love i love push your luck uh, you can grab that purple one and either if you have a purple car which there aren't that many if you have a purple card you can use it but otherwise you can take that purple data and roll it and if you get anything other than purple you can use whatever you rolled including if you roll a white which is the wild type and you get one of any of the basic re uh, uh, data tokens but if you re-roll that purple boom you lose it it goes right back to the data source and you can't use any data from the source that turn so it's kind of fun i like that nice little difference that they did the other two things i want to mention is the theme itself i feel like the game permeates a lot more theme than mage knight does i mean mage knight is just basic fantasy uh when i'm playing star trek frontiers i can totally see that single movie that i've seen but i can i've only seen the single movie but i can feel like i'm part of that that storyline of okay i'm captain kirk and I'm trying to take care of business and protect our people. And, you know, you can you can kind of feel that versus Mage Knight. You just don't really you don't feel a story. It's much more mechanical, I, I, at least for me. And then one of the big changes in Star Trek Frontiers is partial shielding. So in Mage Knight, you either block or you don't block and you take all the damage. Well, for Star Trek Frontiers, I think they did this because you can't use units to reduce damage. You can still do partial shielding it's called so i can shield a part a portion of, of damage that is being done to me and that's awesome because i don't think it made thematic sense that you'd either block everything or block nothing because how many times would you block and you'd get somewhat hurt in mage knight you should <laughs> you know but they didn't allow you to do that so 
I I really like that they allow you to partial shield in this game. And then finally, with the expansion of the Return of Khan, Return of Khan has his own deck of cards. So when you play Volcare, you just use a dummy deck, but Khan actually has his own deck of cards with thematic words on it and all of that. So it gives you a little bit more of a story than I would say Volcare's Lost Legion expansion does. So now I'm going to ask you the big question, Colin. You got Star Trek Frontiers on one side of you with a phaser aimed at it. And Mage Knight <laughs> on the other side of you with a fireball aimed at it. Which one would you pick? Uh, yeah, it's not a question. Mage Knight. I mean, it's for me, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact I learned first on Mage Knight. Um, because to be quite honest, I think if I taught my wife Mage Knight now after doing Star Trek, she would prefer Star Trek because that's where she learned. And Star Trek is uh, more streamlined. Things are easier to understand. Um, and you can get into the theme a little bit more, but man, Mage Knight's just the puzzle that any solo gamer and even a cooperative gamer is going to love. So after that extraordinarily long breakdown of Star Trek Frontiers and Mage Knight, <laughs> which by the way, I could totally talk about more with you if you're interested. So, you know, just send me an email because I love talking about those two games. <laughs> but what we thought we'd talk about now is move into our discussion topic about board games and family. So what we wanted to do here is talk about some of the good things about, you know, people who have a family and like to play board games. What are the good things about it? And then also talk about what are the things that you might have some challenges on and talk a little bit about our challenges and how we try and solve or, or how we fix those those problems that we're having. So, Steve, since I've been talking way too much, why don't you first talk a little bit about your experience? Yeah. So just to give you a little background, uh, I have a three-year-old son. And so, luckily for me, he is already interested in board games, and that's helped a lot with keeping him busy during the day. Uh, I have a, I'm fortunate enough to have a game room in the basement, and so oftentimes we'll be upstairs playing, and he might even suggest himself, like, I will go downstairs and play a game of Dada. And so, we'll go downstairs, and I even have a few Haba games for him. And if anybody with young kids out there, I do recommend Haba games. They're quite fun. In fact, some of them are even fun for adults, too. Uh, Rhino Hero, for example. It's not a co-op or solo game, but it's a really simple, cheap dexterity game that's quite fun from them. So anyway, I've got a few games for him that he on on the shelf, and he knows he can always grab those games with him hit for him to use. He's too young to really play them accurately, but we'll sit down, we'll roll the pieces of how to play with them. He'll kind of make up his own rules, and I'll, I'll interact with him that way. And after he's done with that, I've got a shelf of other games, and he's actually pretty good with cards and components. He won't damage them. And I'll, if I ask him to be careful, he's actually pretty good about being careful. So because of that, whatever he points to, I'll normally pull out and we'll, um, I'll let him play with it. Within reason, like, I wouldn't pull out Zombicide with him, for example. I don't want to pull out a game with, like, scary pictures or dark themes, but otherwise I'll pull it out and we'll play with my toys and stuff. So yeah, it's a great way to interact with with him. Have a lot of fun with that because it's so easy these days to just sit them from a TV and let them, you know, entertain themselves. And this is a much better way of having a experience with them. That's totally awesome, Steve. I mean it's really fun to hear because I have a four year old and a one year old and they're both boys. My my four-year-old is really into right now Dice Forge, actually. So in Dice Forge, you get to build your dice and uh, you actually pop off the sides of your dice and upgrade them. And so every time we play, 
Daddy, I've got to take care of those ones. I got to get those ones off my dice. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you start off with ones on all the sides for these resources. And yeah, it's just so fun. And what he's learning now is he'll, he'll say to me, Hey, dad, I really need three more of this gold so I can buy the card that I want. And it's really fun to see that. So he's actually learning a little bit of math and learning how to manage these resources to get the cards or the things that he wants. So it's a lot of fun. And I'm finding, especially with a lot of my other friends who have kids, they spend a lot of time watching movies with their kids, which is great. It's wonderful. And we do that on occasion. But it's fun to me that my son will come up to me and say, I want to play a board game with you instead of I want to sit in front of a TV and watch something because I sit in front of a computer all day at work. I love not sitting in front of a computer or a TV at night. And they have some fun moments, too. For one of the games I bought him is uh, Monza from Haba. Yeah. It's a race car game. And it's kind of like Candyland, but with a more to it with race cars. And so you're basically just rolling colored dice and matching your race car with the spaces on the board. So it's color matching and finding paths. But for him, he has custom rules. So if you choose the green car, you need to roll green on the dice. If you're a true blue card, you roll blue on the dice. And you just move to the next blue spot, next green spot. So that's his custom rules. And it's pretty <laughs> funny because there's six dice in the game and you roll them. Every once in a while, you won't roll your color. And he'll look at the dice and he'll try to find the right color. And if he doesn't find it, he'll like find one of the dice and like delicately uh, rotate it. So your color's facing up and be like, I found it. Yay. And clap his hands together and move your piece. So no matter what you roll, you always move in the, with his version of the game. It's pretty funny. Oh, that's awesome. But the other good thing about playing games, even at this young, is he's learning uh, turns and patience and take in sharing in this regard. Because like, okay, whose turn is it to play? It's my turn. Okay, cool. And I roll the dice, move your piece. Now whose turn is it? Uh, mama's turn. And so that's been going well with us. In fact, if it's just the two of us, sometimes he'll say, uh, well, it's my turn, dad's turn, and where'd mama go? Mama's turn next. And then we'll have to either get her downstairs to join us or we'll put a piece out there for her if she's not available. So it's been, it's been fun. Wow, that is so much fun. I mean, the interaction, I, I find that it's such a great way to connect with your kids. It's something that you enjoy and it's something that they can get into and it's tactile and you can just enjoy it together. It's wonderful. Now, with all of this, there are some things that are a bit of a challenge, at least for me. And and that's, you know, probably a lot having to do with what I try and do since I'm always trying to play new games and I'm always trying to get new games out onto the channel. And so I can able, be able to talk about them. I always feel like I never have enough time. And, it, you know, with your kids, you, you want to spend the time with your kids, but you also want to spend that time trying to learn new games so you can play them on the, on the channel and whatnot. So I always have a hard time not having enough time. The other thing is, is although our wives, I mean, I'm speaking for you, Steve, so make sure to correct me if I'm wrong, but both of our wives enjoy board games to an extent, but they don't love it as much as we do. True <laughs> statement. Yeah. And so it's funny that we actually both had a good talk with our significant others recently about the fact that we need to find a little bit better balance between our hobby and other things that we need to take care of outside of work. And so make sure that when you are enjoying this hobby that you make sure to give your wife some wife points okay i think steve just recently mentioned he went to see 50 shades of gray with his wife i did yep i had to go watch that movie that's what she requested because i was spending so much time um playing board games and working on some <laughs> of these hobby stuff so 
and I don't recommend the movie. So. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, that is something to do to make sure that you give your wife time and your kids the time. If you know, you're trying to play some more strategic or in-depth games and you can't play something with your kids. So just try and do everything in moderation. Right, Steve? Right. And I mean, <laughs> we still play games with our wives. It's just that uh, sometimes she's tired, doesn't want to play a long game, doesn't want to learn a new game, oftentimes too. It varies. So, but yeah, obviously everything in moderation, even with the kids. So Steve, how do you get your wife to play new games? Because that's one of the biggest issues I have is the, I don't want to learn a new game. So the biggest thing is knowing the game inside and out. My wife, if I'm, if I can have the game set up, ready to go and sit down and I can explain a few topics and get playing right away. She's more likely to get into it and ask questions as we play and learn a little bit as we play. The nice thing about it is we do like co-ops a lot. And so I don't need to explain all the rules up front. We can explain rules as we go because it's normally some level of open information and strategy as we talk about things. So that helps a lot. That's generally how it works best when I'm introducing games to my wife. Yeah. What I have found is that when I introduce games to Monica, I make sure I do it on a, either on a weekend or I do it as like a date night so that she has more time than just after work. So if we're going to play a game in the evening on a Tuesday night, I'm never going to introduce a new game then. I might have a game that's somewhat new that she's already played over the last weekend, and then we'll play that one at that point. So like that's how we've been doing Star Trek Frontiers, is I'll have Star Trek Frontiers up every other evening. We'll play one to two rounds, depending on what's happening. And then if she's really excited about it, we maybe will keep going, or we'll just finish it up the next day. But I find teaching new games have it be a time that's not starting after 8.30 p.m. Because our kids go to bed at 8.30, and I'm fine learning a game at 8.30. She's not. The other thing that I found that helps is turning it into an event. So rather than making the board game the entire thing you're going to do with her that night, have a nice dinner, have a glass of wine while playing the game, and make sure you leave time after playing the game to do something she wants to do, like watch a show or something. Yeah, I think you've hit the button on the nose with let them know ahead of time. So have them so that they're ready and in the right mindset. Because for a while, I used to every evening, hey, Monica, what do you want to do after the kids went to bed? And she'd almost dread me saying, do you want to play a game? Do you want to play a game? (laughs) No, instead, I say, okay, during the week, can we have Tuesday, Thursday, we can play some games. And the rest of the time, you do whatever you want. And I'll do something with you if you want, or you can do something on your own. And so on Tuesday and Thursday, she knows that we're going to play a game. And she knows that up front. And it's so nice because then I'm not asking her, do you want to play a game? Do you want to play a game? So I'm not bugging her. And I know that we are still going to play. We'll just have specific time set up. Hopefully this was helpful for you guys. We were just trying to give you some ideas of how to get your family into board gaming because it's awesome. And as they say, the family that plays together stays together. And with that, I think we have talked your ear off long enough. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Please let us know if you have any other discussion topics. Feel free to reach out to us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com or onestopcoopshop at gmail.com, and we'll do our best to get those discussion topics up. And let us know what you think of this new merger we're having and any other thoughts you have. I'm really curious what you guys think. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you at the next stop. Delete everything. (laughs) Delete everything. (laughs) Delete everything. (laughs) Now I'm adding this at the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Okay.
or challenges because they're not problems. They're just challenges. And we grow stronger by solving them. Oh, God, take that out. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. We've been doing this too damn long. Okay. 